nerds. It's time to suit up and nerd up. Launching badass rockabilly track. ANS protocol is active, now providing you with the illusion of choice. Time to save the world with some wrestling, video games, movies, horror, and more. Launching ANS in 3, 2, 1. Welcome to the Amazing Nerd Show. Hey, this is Christian. Hey, this is Damon. And this is the Amazing Nerd Show. All right, so Happy New Year. Uh, hopefully everyone is enjoying their holidays, but I'm not going to lie, I'm half happy they're almost done with. I feel like I've had family over almost every other day this month, and man, you know I can only deal with socializing so much, so, but I'm a cranky old fuck. Uh, <laughs> I digress. Christian, how was your Christmas? I mean, I definitely needed headache medicine every once in a while dealing with family. I mean, you know me, I'm I'm even worse than you when it comes to socializing. This is true. So, <laughs> so it is what it is. But I mean, I had plenty of great food, plenty of great gifts, and I'm happy to move on into the new year, ready to start some new content for everybody. Nice, nice. I've uh, actually been posting a lot of uh, my awesome holiday gifts on Instagram. So make sure you're following us there. Uh, yes. It was a very He-Man Christmas. I got tons, <laughs> tons of Masters of the Universe figures. So even a line that I wasn't collecting, but apparently now I am. I don't know if you're up to date on your He-Man, but uh, Masters of the Universe Revelations is happening over on Netflix. Uh, I've been enjoying the series. I'm not completely caught up right now. The second part just dropped, I think, last month. Uh, but I've been kind of dabbling, you know, in the toy line because the figures are really mm. nice. Some of the redesigns are hit or miss. But, uh, yeah, apparently now I'm full on board because I got like five figures from that line this year. So, and, you know, I can't resist. All I need is like to, you know, get the itch and I'm all in. So um, it is what it is. I mean, if you're a toy guy like me and you like to stare at action figures all day, uh, follow us on Instagram, like I said, and check out the overabundance of nerdiness I got this year for Christmas. Uh, I don't know if I was on someone's nice list or if I'm dying and no one told me uh, because I was definitely uh, <laughs> spoiled this year. So I don't know. I found it a little concerning, though, for some reasons. <laughs> I was like, what did I do? <laughs> Anyway, that's at Amazing Nerd Show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I feel guilty about getting gifts, but I mean, I don't know. <laughs> it's like, this is a lot, guys. Jesus Christ. I mean, I know I'm neurotic, but like, <laughs> after seeing all the gifts from my family, I was like, my God, like, I, either I did something right or you guys are feeling bad <laughs> about something. Um, <laughs> I don't know if I should be worried or happy or just maybe both. I don't know. All your Star Wars black figures are gone. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they sold them on ebay without telling me uh-huh <laughs> oh trust me i would know <laughs> so anyway before we move on and talk about what's on tap for this week's show uh we just wanted to say thank you to all the listeners out there for making december actually our most successful month in the show's history i mean we've been doing this for four years now and it's awesome to see the show still growing and thriving week to week uh so i know this is like beating a dead horse at this point but if you like what you hear make sure you tell a friend hit subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and leave that five-star review i mean we're an independent podcast so all that stuff 
really, really matters <laughs> if you want the show to continue to grow. Uh, next week is not only our year in review, but it's also our four-year anniversary. So we've got some special announcements to help celebrate, so make sure you stay tuned. But anyway, enough about next week. Let's talk about this week. On this week's show, we're going to be breaking down the first episode of Book of Boba Fett. We're also going to be reviewing The Matrix Resurrections and the second season of The Witcher. And we'll also be discussing AEW's New Year's Smash. Let's get into the news. Every week we collect the biggest headlines and rumors of nerdum. We're not mild-mannered reporters, we're mere podcasters with opinions. Well, due to the holidays, we only have a couple news stories to talk about, but they are juicy nonetheless. First up, we have a rumor that Daredevil will appear in multiple Disney Plus shows. But hey, warning, possible spoilers ahead. So rumors being leaked by an alleged Marvel insider onto Reddit suggest starting off with the She-Hulk series, everyone's favorite blind lawyer will be making an appearance in numerous Disney Plus series, including the likes of Moon Knight, Armor Wars, Ironheart, Echo, and more. The source also indicated that She-Hulk will set up Charlie Cox's Daredevil as a major player for the future of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh, the leaker states that Cox will appear in two episodes of She-Hulk as both Matt Murdock and Daredevil, where the story will see Walters befriend Murdock after facing him in court, and we could possibly see Daredevil in his classic old-school yellow uniform. So it sounds like he might get kind of that like uh, Hulk treatment that they've been doing with the movies where he's not really getting his own series just yet. He'll pop in a few things and maybe they'll do something big with him later. I, I think it'd be interesting if this all just builds into a movie that he might have later, but it definitely might be a while before we get that. No, you're right. I mean, Hulk or Nick Fury even. Um, mm -hmm. You know, where he just kind of like makes a cameo and, you know, just kind of ties the universe together. Um... I'm hoping that there's a movie or series of his own like down the line. There is another rumor out there suggesting that this version of Daredevil uh, is the same Daredevil that we saw in the Netflix series, um, which is not what we heard originally. Um, I don't know if that really adds up though, since you know we just saw Wilson Fisk in Hawkeye, and while personality-wise, he felt like the w Wilson Fisk that we knew in the Netflix series, physicality wise though like he felt like a completely different character because that wilson fist Ooh. going up against daredevil would tear him apart it feels like i mean maybe they'll say some shit like it's a variant you know of that version i, or, I, I don't, don't know. know like i almost <laughs> well like i love that series i think i'm fine mm. with them like you know starting fresh with these characters in the mcu like, I mean, we're getting those actors betraying them. So I'm okay if we're kind of starting back from square one and we're seeing Kevin Foggy get it, like, kind of like dig into those original storylines and everything like that. I mean, part of that might be because, you know, I hated their version of Bullseye and Electra. Uh, uh -huh. <laughs> but I, I just would like to see what Kevin Foggy you know, brings to the character and what he can do with the story. I mean, we're not saying like do a whole reboot where we do the origin over again. I like no. with what they did with Spider-Man, where you got that, like we imply the origins have already happened and we're just starting from a story from there. I think that would be the right path to go, especially with any character that they're bringing back from the Netflix series. Exactly, exactly. And just kind of like with them having him appear in all these shows, I feel like it's more likely that he's going to get a film of his own 
No, that's the vibe I get too. We also got a report about the upcoming sequel for Doctor Strange bringing in a major Inhuman and Fantastic Four member into the MCU. So yes, we've got separate reports from Fandom Wire and My Time to Shine Hello that fellow Illuminati members Black Bolt and Reed Richards will both be making an appearance in Doctor Strange's upcoming Multiverse of Madness film. Uh, this is not the first time we've heard rumors about the Illuminati uh, showing up in the sequel with a leak earlier this year suggesting that we would see the MCU debut of Professor X in the film. Uh, I think there was some kind of like concept art that showed Professor X being escorted by two Ultron drones. Um, pretty badass, if you ask me, uh, but we'll see if that actually happens in the film. I mean, while like the Illuminati showing up could lead to some huge implications in the MCU as it did in the comics where the group, you know, was the last line of defense for the multiverse and Hickman's epic Secret Wars run. Um, but it does feel like a strange way, pun intended, for these like major players to debut in the MCU. But I mean, after what they just pulled off in Spider-Man No Way Home, I guess anything is possible. I mean, there's speculation and rumors going wild about this next film. And just, I imagine if they're going to do cameos, they'll probably still be more on the brief side. Like they'll be short. We won't get crazy. Like, I don't I can't imagine Professor X being a part of the final act of this film. Or anything like no, that. No, no, I agree 100%. Um, I, I, and we're really like trying to filter through the rumors just so listeners know uh -huh. because there's literally a new rumor every day, it seems like, like Ghost Rider showing up and different Young Avengers. Mm -hmm. and, and So it's, it's hard because there's so much out there, but this was actually being reported by multiple sites. So that's why we kind of ran with it. But I mean, like you said, I could see like maybe some kind of weird brief scene where Strange is like at the table with the rest of the Illuminati meeting and they're like warning him of like, you know, future events or, you know, what he's about to do is about to screw up the multiverse, you know, um, you know, and him being confused on even who the hell these people are. So something kind mm. of just foreshadowing what's going to come in the next couple phases of the MCU. Um, I don't foresee it being more than that. I mean, that kind of reminds me of like fl how Flash showed up um, in front of Batman. Batman in that scene. I, I think it was Justice yes, League. Or... Yes, it was in Justice League. Yeah, yeah. something along those lines. So um, hmm. now here's a question. If Professor X was in this film, who would you have playing it? Would it be James McAvoy? Would it be Patrick Stewart? Or would you cast someone else? I'd cast someone new at this point. I feel like we just got to move away from Fox's <laughs> version of the X-Men completely. <laughs> But does that take uh, Hugh Jackman returning as Wolverine off the table? I, I think we need to move for, away from Hugh Jackman. Since as he's Wolverine, like 60, personally. right? <laughs> I know. I, I know that sacrilegious are so many fans uh -huh. out there that are screaming for his return. But I, I think let's start but new. Let's just start if fresh. If this is a multiverse film, you could have that version of that character. Yes. Especially, mm -hmm. you know, you could have them. And then we talked about this before. But like if you want to do a true Secret Wars, you know, film you could have that version of that character being in that movie. So um, there is a way to sneak him in and still start fresh at the same time. I just, I mean, it might be super confusing for audiences, though, at that point. So, um, but, I mean, maybe all these films and Spider-Man No Way Home is kind of like training the audience exactly what the multiverse is all about. So I don't know. Maybe we're not giving them enough credit. I mean, what if they brought the original actor who played Reed Richards in those Fox films back? Just for the, <laughs> just for the Illuminati scene. 
I, that'd be crazy. I, I mean, they could do some interesting stuff in this film. They could have Chris Evans show up as um, the Human right? Torch just for the fuck of it. <laughs> that would <know>? be fun. <laughs> but I guarantee you they're not going to cast the dude who has played Black Bolt in that uh, horrible miniseries that they no. did for the Inhumans. <laughs> so, <laughs> I feel like we're safe from that. I mean, with them playing around with Miss Marvel's origins, I, it makes me wonder if they're going to actually do anything with the Inhumans in the MCU. But I mean... Especially after that show flopped as hard as it did, I could just see them trying to avoid that character completely. I mean, my guess is you're probably right, but at, in the same token, like I don't think anyone actually saw that Inhuman show, so yeah. <laughs> they're probably safe just retelling the story. And I trust Foggy mm -hmm. to like you know to pull off a good Inhumans film. Um, I'm just not a huge fan of the group, so I could either take it or leave it, honestly. All right, Christian. So since it's winter break, I've had a chance to do nothing. Uh, but you actually watched a film. Yeah, I actually watched all four Matrix films back to back so I could get the entire story in one. So, yeah, let's review the Matrix Resurrections. Warning, spoiler alert. Minor spoilers for Matrix Resurrections ahead. You have been warned. And now our feature presentation. For some part of you knew that was a lie. Some part of you remembered what was real. It's so easy to forget how much noise the Matrix pumps into your head. Something else makes the same kind of noise. War. Return to a world of two realities, one everyday life, the other what lies behind it, to find out if his reality is a construct to truly know himself. Mr. Anderson will have to choose to follow the White Rabbit once more. This film is written and directed by Lana Wachowski and stars Keanu Reeves, Carrie Ann Moss, and Yaha Abdul-Mantine. It had been several years since my last viewing of any Matrix films, but when they did come out originally, I was absolutely in love with them as a kid. Uh, Rewatching them now, I can definitely see more of the flaws in the sequels, but still have nostalgia for the franchise as a whole that, you know, that the Wachowskis built. But with the story of the one feeling like it was complete in the Matrix 3, I definitely had a lot of questions going into the fourth installment, and I had a lot of fears of this being another run-of-the-mill soft reboot. In this era of films constantly being rebooted or remade, Matrix Resurrections went the absolute meta route in its approach. Knowing what it is and knowing what it needed to accomplish in resurrecting the franchise, The Matrix 4 took a smart path in bringing people back into this world without getting too convoluted or confusing, and while I felt the film had a strong start, the ending and performances fell a tad bit flat for me in the end. Keanu Reeves is once again Mr. Anderson within the confines of the Matrix, and the psychological take on if the world he is in is real or not was really well written, especially you know putting into consideration how long it's been since the third film. This movie opened itself up to a more modern take on how society and technology have grown without losing the spirit of the 1999 film, though you can really see how much today's internet tropes influence this film. The fresh faces to this franchise, like Jessica Henwick's Bugs character definitely had to move you through a lot of exposition to explain the changes over the 60 years Neo has been missing, but I feel like the crew of our new ship did a pretty solid job overall. However, 
I wish we had, you know, spent a little bit more time with each of these new characters. Because as in the end of the film, I wasn't too worried or concerned for any of them in the final act. One of the flaws of this film has to be its lack of danger for the new characters. In the original film, it's illustrated pretty well just how dangerous it is to step foot inside the Matrix. But with our new team, they came off a tad bit cocky and almost invincible in comparison to the previous films. On top of that, there were a couple old characters with some new actors and mild spoilers here, though you may have already realized this based off the trailers, we have a new Morpheus in Yaha Abdul-Mateen. And while there's a good explanation for the new character and why he may be you know, a tad bit different, the performance and writing didn't do enough to capture Lawrence Fishburne's Morpheus character. And honestly, this goes across the board for all the characters with new actors portraying them. Instead of the actors feeling like they're playing those characters, it just felt like they were playing a caricature of the original characters instead, which really took me out of the couple scenes that they were in. The villain and the ending itself opens up the door for the future of the Matrix franchise, and I'm interested in seeing where it goes, but the villain itself isn't all that menacing, and there wasn't really enough of an evil machines element to be scared for a new human city just yet. While it all made sense in the end, I felt it was flat due to the reliance on a possible sequel instead of giving me a more solid story in this film. It all just kind of felt like the chapter one of a sequel story. Effects and filmmaking wise, I was happy with the special effects that you know we got now. It's definitely felt like a true upgrade to the previous films. But there were definitely moments here and there where they were trying to attempt recreating that like original bullet time effect and it came off a bit shaky to me and almost too polished for its own good. But what really bothered me about this film was its lighting. I mean, the character's updated looks fit more of the of that like cyberware of today, but the film's lighting and color felt so off compared to the original franchise. The final act of the film felt really poorly lit in particular, as they chose to, you know, light up the streets with blinding white lights at the ends of each street while having all these characters in cars all wearing the same shade of black with barely anything to light them up inside there, making it hard to tell them apart. The fight sequence also were a tad bit of a letdown as it felt at times like they were trying to cover up, you know, Keanu Reeves fighting ability. But as a John Wick fan, I know he can still go. So I was a little surprised by the simplicity of a lot of the choreography. And along with that came a bunch of more jump cuts compared to all the other Matrix fights, which just made me less interested in the action altogether. And again, here was another moment where they could have, you know, focused a little bit more on the younger cast as well, as I just don't feel like I saw enough of them fighting, especially knowing like Henwick's fighting skills from the Iron Fist Netflix series. As I said before, this film lends itself more to the franchise type of feel where its main objective of course was to get you back in and wanting more and while I'm interested in the story I can't say I was all that impressed by the first new installment but perhaps this story will all feel better when they have you know come out with a couple more films that kind of complete this kind of arc that they're doing just for now I'm not hooked enough into this story but either way I'm giving Matrix Resurrections a C plus so Christian, after the second season of The Mandalorian, we had to wait a very long year before we got some live action Star Wars on the screen again. But the Book of Boba Fett is finally upon us. Let's go ahead and break down episode one, Stranger in a Strange Land. Warning spoiler alert, major spoilers for the Book of Boba series ahead. Ending spoilers discussed. You have been warned. Jabba ruled with fear. I intend to rule with respect. If I may. Speak freely. In difficult times, fear is a sure bet. 
The opening of the Book of Boba finds us in an abandoned Jabba's palace after Boba had claimed the throne from Bib Fortuna. Here Boba can be found healing in a Bacta tank as he gets flashbacks to his childhood home on Kamino and the fateful death of his dear old dad Jango during the Battle of Genosis in Star Wars Episode 2. In a quick flash, we're sent inside the belly of a Sarlacc as we get Boba waking up from being slowly digested after the events of Return of the Jedi. While inside, Boba finds a you know, nearby stormtrooper who's been way long dead as we see his armor is starting to melt inside the Sarlacc. Boba takes an opportunity to use some of the suit's oxygen as it is very hard to breathe inside the Sarlacc, I imagine. And not wanting to stay too long, he ends up burning a hole inside the Sarlacc using one of his flamethrowers. So I don't know about you, Christian, but this was really therapeutic for me. I've been waiting 30 years to see like Boba Fett escape the Sarlacc pit. Uh, we finally got it here. It definitely feels like his Beskar armor like helped him from getting digested by the worm here. I don't know how long, you know, mm -hmm. he was, you know, in the stomach. Uh, in the Legends lore, Dengar actually is the one who saves him. Uh, but we didn't get that here. Uh, which I'm fine with. But with that being said, I do hope we do get some like appearances from bounty hunters throughout the series. You just want more figures of all your favorite bounty hunters. Yes. <laughs> 100%. <laughs> no, but don't you want to get to know them a little more and actually see them on the screen after all these years? Sure, it's fine. I'm, I'm not the biggest bounty hunter guy. You know that. You suck. <laughs> I'm not the biggest Christian guy. <laughs> Go fuck yourself. I think <laughs> our listeners already know. <laughs> Emerging from the sand, Boba has freed himself from the Sarlacc pit, with all the remaining damage of Jabba's barge laying in ruin behind him. But still exhausted and having gone without food or water, Boba seems to stay passed out on the sand until a group of Jawas come to scavenge the area, effectively stealing the weakened, you know, bounty hunter's armor, showing just how he lost the armor before the second season of Mandalorian. Fucking Jawas. They're nasty little creatures, right? <laughs> Every time. It's always them. <laughs> I did really enjoy how this episode filled in a lot of the blanks between, like, Return of the Jedi and Mandalorian, though. So, and that's kind of like the nerd of me wanted to see here. Now in an even worse state, Boba lays in his PJs during a sandstorm as Tusken Raiders approach. Even looking dead, the Raiders still bound Boba and give him a squirt of what seems like dung worm, which actually seems to wake up Boba. But still in a very weakened state, Boba gets dragged by the Raiders back to their camp. Tusken Raiders rocking a new look here, right? Have you ever seen this version of the Tusken Raiders before? No, but I think... I. You know, there's got to be more than one tribe, so maybe you yeah, got different looks. Well, I don't Christian, know. you know what this means for me, right? <laughs> more more figures. action figures. <laughs> <laughs> I do like how in like the Mandalorian and what seems to be happening in this series, we seem to be getting to know like the Tusken Raider like culture, if you want to call it that, you know, a little more. They're not just like these wild, crazy nomads who just roam in the desert. Now. They actually have like, you know, personalities and stuff. Yeah, especially here in this episode. Exactly. I mean, it puts a little bit more perspective on, you know, Anakin slaughtering <laughs> the entire tribe. Yes. You know? Oh, my gosh. The women and the children. <laughs> what a bastard. <laughs> Boba Fett's camp life isn't all that great. De-armored and dehydrated, Boba takes a beating from the local Tusken Raider children as their parents watch on. At some point, a Rodanian was also captured and brought to this camp in which I'm guessing to do some slave labor. Speaking of Anakin, this is probably similar to what they did to his mother. 
I mean, I would hope they weren't all just running around and hitting him. All the kids weren't just coming up and hitting his mom. Like a but fucking pinata. You, you yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty horrifying. <laughs> While a dog-like creature called a massive keeps watch, Boba does try to escape one night. In a cool move to kind of like lure in the massive, he pretends like he's trying to untie his ropes, but actually ends up strangling and choking out the beast using that said rope before using its teeth to actually cut off the rest of the rope. Christian, was this a similar creature to what we saw uh, on Genosis uh, in the arena? No, but I, it might be like similar species, but this is more of a like definitely dog shaped one. I mean, we've seen them in uh, like the Clone Wars series okay. and we've seen them uh, across the board every once in a while. Familiar, just like in so the I background. wasn't sure, like if this was just mm -hmm. a smaller version of that. No, I definitely don't think they're the same beast but i mean who knows maybe they grow that big i wouldn't be surprised and while everything seems to be going great he offers some help to the rodanian who was also captured but unfortunately the rodanian screams alerting the raiders of boba's escape he does attempt to flee here but he is in no shape to fight any of those who are already accustomed to the harsh lands such as the tuscan raiders and easily gets laid out by one of the tribesmen yeah didn't it feel like the tuscan raider that took him out was like the tribes like enforcer or something I mean, I definitely think we're supposed to imply those types of roles because there's definitely one that seems like also a leader. it feels like they were a female, right? Uh, I'm not sure. I didn't get that vibe. Okay, way. <laughs> I don't know. It just felt like they're smaller stature. But I mean, if it was a she, she was a badass. We cut back to Boba in the back to tank, awakening to Fennec standing over the tank. Upon getting out, Boba states that he's been having dreams about his past again. Fennec makes no mention of this, but simply lets Boba know that it's time for the townsfolk to arrive and pay their respects, which of course is then preceded by a badass suit-up scene for our new crime lord. Christian, you know you're a badass if your armor has its own theme music. I mean, <laughs> the yeah. score for this episode <laughs> is just amazing. Um, I mean, this whole like series so far feels even more Western than the Mandalorian did. And I mean, the fact that I don't think they're going to be leaving the planet very often is definitely going to help, you know, elevate that vibe even further. No, I'm definitely happy they stuck with Ludwig for this series as well as the Mandalorian. Yeah, it's amazing. Bubba the new crime lord, or as they call it, a daimo, now takes his seat at his throne as the people of Mos Espa bring him offerings. Though without a protocol droid, Boba and Fennec just do their best to look as menacing as they can as they don't understand what everyone is actually saying as they come up. And also during this scene, we get a fun return of Jabba's torture droid, 8D8, announcing each guest as well. I'm loving Don Fett here. Um, that one dude seemed like he was offering uh, Boba uh, a, a Wookiee hide. Did he catch yeah. that? <laughs> Pretty fucked uh -huh. up, right? <laughs> Hope that wasn't one of Chewie's friends. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I, really cool scene. AT8 would later announce the arrival of the mayor of Mos Espa, but, but instead of the mayor, it would in fact be his glorified secretary, aka the Major Domo. Not only does the mayor not send any tribute, but his major domo seems quite insulting while addressing Boba. Fennec is quick to point out that his demeanor and insolence would have never been tolerated under Jabba's rule, but Boba descends to not take any action against the major domo as he does work for the mayor. And it seems like Boba wants to start off on the right foot with just about everyone. But the major domo takes it a bit further by requesting payment from Boba. They still let him leave unharmed, but it's a clear sign that there's going to be some issues with the mayor as this journey progresses. Yeah, there's definitely a power struggle brewing here. So um, mm -hmm. I'm wondering with the amount of flashback scenes that we get, you know, in this episode, um, if we're going to kind of see what brings around this like attitude 
from Boba with, you know, trying to push this whole mantra of respect over fear, um, you know, and what leads him to want to be the crime boss on Tatooine. Just after the meet with the Major Domo, we would then get two captured Gamorreans who had served under Jabba be offered as tortured slaves for Boba's amusement. Just the sort of thing that, you know, Jabba would have enjoyed, but instead, Boba offers to spare them for their full loyalty to him in return. And while the Gamorreans go for it, Fennec thinks it's all just a bad idea. I like how shrewd Fennec is here. Um, she's slowly becoming one of my favorite like characters in the Star Wars universe. Um, you know, between like, mm -hmm. you know, what we saw of her in The Mandalorian and what we got from the character in The Bad Batch. Ming-Na Wen is awesome in the role and, you know, she almost steals the show in this episode. Agreed. She's a fantastic actress and I wish that she had been in like some bigger roles going throughout after like Mulan and stuff. I mean, she like was that. a standout in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. too. So honestly, I hope that doesn't like hurt her chances of getting recasted in another role, you know, in the MCU. So since that definitely feels like it's not in continuity anymore. You know, or just bring her back as that mm. character and, you know, have her be part of, like, you know, uh, Nick Fury's entourage. I'm hoping that the series kind of really dives into the relationship between Boba and Fennec. Like, did these two characters know each other before the events of The Mandalorian? Um, I would think that they would have to. Because, you know, I know Boba, like, saved her in the desert, but it feels like there's more history there than just that one moment mm -hmm. and a reason for her, like, you know, devotion to him. And we do know that she has a past with uh, Boba's little sister, Omega. I mean, there's still people speculating that Omega could even show up in this show. So we'll I see don't know about that. Right. I feel like that'd be them showing their hand, though, <laughs> like for the Bad Batch. Right. Uh -huh. I mean, it'd be cool. Like if she's just mm -hmm. this badass fucking bounty hunter. <laughs> <laughs> that even like Boba like fears. She has all the skills of the Bad oh, Batch. Oh, rocking at that point. the armor, the Bad Batch armor. I, uh -huh. I still want her to get the armor and the you know in the show. I feel I feel like that's eventually going to be a moment uh -huh. in that series. Because why? Like they're all wearing armor. Like why would you have this fucking eight year old mm -hmm. you know unprotected in the battlefield? No, it makes sense. They're, they they'll probably have a whole suit up uh -huh, scene right. for her at some point. Plus, again, that sells toys. <laughs> I'll be the first in line. After a sweeping shot of Mos Espa, Boba finds himself in a fancy casino meeting with Garso Fwip. After giving their helmets to some Twi'lek servants, we meet Garso. Once, you know, learning that Boba had dethroned Bib Fortuna, was surprised by Boba's, you know, lack of an entrance. But nonetheless, Garso plays nice with the new Daimo of Mos Espa. Though like many others in this seedy town, I do not believe she will be a trustworthy character down the road, but she does still impress Boba in this scene with a handsome tribute of credits once his helmets were returned. Right before this scene, I did like um, when they were walking down the street and Finnick brought up that uh, Boba should have been, you know, on his throne. I guess that's something that Jabba used and Bit Fortuna uh, when, like, walking the streets of uh, Tatooine, uh, that he'd have his men, like, carrying him. Because I thought it went a long way to demonstrate the difference between how Boba wants to rule over, you know, what was done in the past and how he just really doesn't give a shit about tradition. <laughs> mm-hmm. But it's like, I wouldn't even find Bib Fortuna on that throne to be menacing, like going through the streets. I, Do you think that's how he got so big? Like, <laughs> you know, he's being carried around everywhere? Because, I mean, dude Probably. put on some fucking weight. <laughs> Not that I'm judging, because trust me, after this pandemic, I definitely put on some weight, too. And I didn't have motherfuckers carry me around the streets. So. <laughs> Although that would have been awesome. But back to the bar. 
I agree with you. I could definitely see some sort of like betrayal happening between like, you know, Boba and Jessica Biel's character. What, what was the name? Garza Whip? Yeah, Garza Whip. That's a horrible name. Uh, uh-huh. Garza Whip. <laughs> Where she like gains his trust and then you'll eventually like stabs him in the back, you know, for the mayor. For all intents and purposes, this place seems like it's running perfectly. You would think that someone who's like on top of this you know, type of casino and stuff probably wants to be in his position. That's <laughs> what I imagine her character is more like. So I don't know. Agreed. Agreed. Um, and who knows what kind of deal she had worked out already with the mayor. But I mean, not to bring back to, you know, the bounty hunters, but I'm going to bring it back to the bounty hunters. I feel like like Boba needs a bigger entourage. Like it's yeah. just like him and Finnick and the two guards. That's it. <laughs> and maybe we'll get more as the season goes on but yeah it's yeah. been weird yeah maybe i mean maybe that's when they come into play like he has to hire some of his buddies his old buddies to come and you know get his back i see in the trailers boba is pretty clear on wanting to rule with respect rather than fear but many are advising against that as even in the next scene fennec expresses that fear can be a sure bet to securing power than respect however this conversation is cut short by a group of assassins that quickly surround fennec and boba fett with shields and electrostaffs similar to the ones we saw used in Star Wars Episode 3. So I was surprised here that they were able to get the jump on Fennec and uh, Boba. And I know that they're like, you know, trained assassins and they have weapons and everything. But I'm going to chalk this up to like them wanting to show that Boba's not necessarily at full strength at this moment. Mm. And that's why they have him in the back to tank, you know, to start off the episode and to also end the episode. Um, cause if you think about like how he went like completely John Wick on those stormtroopers in the Mandalorian, like what is he going to be able to do to like, you know, trained assassins, you know, once he's feeling like himself again, definitely spark some fear at that point. <laughs> right. <laughs> do you think part of his journey in this series is them putting his new mission statement, if you will, that mantra of, you know, respect over fear to test really like, is he eventually going to have to travel that path to get what he wants yeah that's that's how i feel the story's gonna go I, i'm hoping that it's not gonna be a happy ending where it's just like <laughs> oh yeah i got everyone's respect i hope it's christian be hates a happy fucking ending let me tell you like, no one's missed this <laughs> i want him to kill some motherfuckers what's that what's wrong with that <laughs> i think it's definitely going to be a struggle for the character so i can mm. definitely see that arc happening for him um I'm just wondering, like I said before, like if those flashbacks are meant to kind of inform the audience of like how he got to this point and this like philosophy. In this fight, Fennec and Boba struggle against the well-shielded attackers, but they would get their opening when the Gamorreans that Boba Fett had took in show up, swinging wildly at the assassins. With more even ground between the two sides, Boba Fett still gets downed, though that doesn't stop him from killing one of them with a missile. The assassins attempt to flee, and Fennec proceeds to chase after them, but Boba does instruct her not to kill. I'm sure part of this is to, you know, show that he's different than Jabba and Bib, but also... You know, I'm, I'm sure he wants to also get information like, you know, mm-hmm. like who sent them, which is absolutely the mayor, by the way. Oh, yeah. No, no shot. It's anyone else. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fennec being the best that she is, catches up to two of them and kills one of them before taking one as a hostage. Meanwhile, the Gamorreans bring Boba back to the palace and put him in the back to tank. This is a really nice action sequence. They go straight like parkour here. Um, and when, mm-hmm. it went a long way too to show how formidable like Fennec is and why Boba 
keeps her around as his right hand. I did appreciate them putting in like the line from Boba about how like when he went to Flip and said, oh, this is my master assassin along with me, Fennec. Absolutely. I was like, oh, yeah. After seeing Bad Batch where Cad Bane is clearly saying, you know, she's still a novice at this and stuff like that. It's, you know, we're seeing you know how far she's come. But also, if you think about it in Bad Batch, she goes toe to toe with Cad Bane and takes him True. out pretty much. So because honestly, <laughs> that felt more like Cad, like, you know, trying to get in her head and just talking shit. Mm-hmm. Because, like, at this point, you know, how many years later, you got to think she's even more seasoned and even more lethal. It would actually be really cool to see Cad show up here in this series. Because I don't think, continuity-wise, they ever show him actually get killed. And especially since they never did that, you know, scene in the Clone Wars that explained, like, how Boba Fett got his... Uh, like little dent they could definitely do like a flashback in this to show that when that happened because we thought they were going to go that route in bad batch at one point mm-hmm. because if you remember they made a point to highlight cad with this like plate in his head now while boba's in the tank he again flashes back to his time with the tuscan raiders this time we see fett along with his fellow captive be taken out to the desert to collect sources of water for the raider tribe while out there we see some bandits robbing a moisture farm similar to good old uncle owen's farm in a new hope so i don't know where this was established but i was reading that those guys were most likely working for like bib fortuna um, because i guess jabba had some kind of like water tax on all the farmers that they would have to pay, you know, to his uh, crew. Mm-hmm. So most likely they were probably collecting for them. Um, I'm wondering if, you know, at some point, you know, in these flashbacks, we see Bobo come to odds, you know, with, you know, these guys, you know, and, and Bit Fortuna's like crew. It would make sense because the markings that they put on that building don't match up with any of the gangs that we know so far mm-hmm. here in Star Wars Underground, at least. And if that's the case and Boba like somehow comes to odds with like you know bib fortuna's like men maybe that's why after the events of the mandalorian his first course of action was you know dethrone him while digging for plants containing water with one of the tuscan preteens watching over them along with another massive of course boba and the rodanian seem like they're like in competition to find water boba during the scene would not only challenge the kid's authority by stealing some water but also scold the rodanian for being a snitch and not allowing them to escape earlier on Sometime during their dig, the Rodanian would come across a strange rock-like texture in the sand, and while uncovering it some more, would find out that it was a massive claw of some six-legged sand beast that proceeds to just jump out and kill the Rodanian. Boba Fett, on the other hand, uses the chain around his ankle to choke the monster out, saving him and the Tusken Raider kid that had been watching over them. I forgot to mention this before, but there was a couple scenes where like Boba felt like he could probably have taken out the kid, but chose mm-hmm. to not to. Um, you know, and the, there's the one scene in the very beginning where he's getting beat by the kid with the uh, gaffy stick and he like kind of just stares him down. And, you know, the scene before this, you know, while they're digging, it always felt like he could probably escape, but he didn't want to hurt the kid in doing so. Um, mm-hmm. Like he was just kind of waiting for the right moment. Um, but maybe that's just me reading into things. I mean, I feel like Empire Strikes Back Boba Fett would have either like killed one of the kids and took another one as a hostage and then left. <laughs> but this version seems like, yeah, way more tame. 
But I will say, I mean, we're just kind of assuming that's who he was in Empire Strikes mm. Back. Like, they really True. don't show us anything <laughs> to really, like, dictate that. So Just the vibe I got. Uh-huh. Right? <laughs> He's all about the children, Christian. Returning to the camp with the Sand Beast's head, the Tusken Raider child elates in their victory over the beast. And as Boba Fett watched the kid tell the rest of the tribe, one of the elders actually walks up to him and offers him some water as a clear sign of respect before the episode comes to a close. Yeah, it definitely feels like the kid's, like, telling the tribe that he, like, killed the beast. <laughs> you know, and the chief recognizes that it was probably Boba, so he, uh-huh. like, offers him the water and everything. But back to my whole theory about, like, you know, Boba, like, coming to odds with, you know, the Fortuna's men. I'm wondering if something happens where Boba, like, starts to feel like, you know, he's part of the tribe and gets close to the, like, the raiders. And then, you know... Fortuna's men like end up like slaughtering them all or something. Um, and that's why he's on this kind of war path. Because we definitely see in The Mandalorian that he's now like highly skilled at swinging a gappy stick. So, yeah, I definitely think we're going to see more of him building that relationship with them in each episode. Maybe we'll get like a flashback per episode and stuff like that. And I definitely think it'll play into whatever the theme of that episode will be because I felt like this one was all about respect. And that's why we got that final moment there of him getting respect from the tribe and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, maybe it's a lesson that he learns from the chief of the tribe, mm-hmm. you know? Um, I don't know, like, overall, I thought it was a really, like, solid and strong episode. I thought it did, like I said, a great job of filling in the blanks between, like, what happened, uh, you know, between Return of the Jedi and The Mandalorian. Because I think, like, what, like, four years has passed at this point? Mm. But it also did a really good job of, like, really setting the table for what this series is going to be about. I know a lot of fans were kind of complaining that this episode felt really slow. But I'm wondering if part of that's just the anticipation and having to wait, like... A full year to get some more like live action Star Wars, you know, on our screens. Um, and then also just the residual effect from, you know, the batshit crazy like final like couple episodes of, you know, The Mandalorian. I mean, not only did we get like the return of Boba Fett, uh, but also like the first live action appearance of Ahsoka and Luke fucking Skywalker for crying out loud. So, I mean, (laughs) I don't think any series could possibly, like, live up to, like, those expectations. Well, you go from that and then this first episode, you know, the first 12 minutes, there's not a single bit of dialogue. Mm -hmm. It's all just, you know, things moving slowly. And I I thought that's fine. Like, I dig old westerns and stuff like that. And I felt like this really captured the vibe completely of that. It out-westerns the Mandalorian for sure. Exactly. That's what I was saying. It's it's Mm -hmm. more western than even the Mandalorian. So, I mean, you're just be patient. Because if you think about it, like the first episode of uh, season two of The Mandalorian actually started off slow, too. With him, like, you know, visiting that small town and... But we've talked about it before. I mean, now as a like society, we're so used to like binging these series, like, you know, the first day they come out that, you know, we have to kind of like relearn patience with these like, you know, episodic Disney Plus shows, you know, that come out weekly. And it's not something I'm going to learn easy either. I'm, I'm so into binge culture. <laughs> I love it. I don't know, man. Like <laughs> now that I have a kid and everything, I actually enjoy like the, you know, the weekly drops over like feeling the like rush to have to watch like 10 episodes like in a couple days because i don't want to be spoiled by the you know on the internet yeah so it's Mm kind of nice to like you know discover these episodes one week at a time feels like it also lets the story kind of like marinate more 
and really like just prolongs my like enjoyment of the series. Because a lot of times you binge like 12 episodes of a show and then like in a month or two, you've completely forgotten what you've watched. Not saying that if they dropped like, you know, six episodes of Book of Boba Fett like next week, I wouldn't watch them all in like a day or two. Uh-huh. So. <laughs> but it's so hard to like avoid spoilers nowadays. And I mean, that you know, a, a spoiler could just destroy your enjoyment of something. Set, says the host of a podcast who literally just, you know, spoils things every week. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we put a warning uh-huh. ahead of time. It's for yeah, the I mean, people if you're listening to a review of a movie or a show, like, I mean, why would you do so if you haven't already seen it? I never understood that mentality. <laughs> There's plenty of people out there that do it, though. So it's, you know, it is what it I feel is. Like, hey, if you're enjoying the show, enjoy yeah, the show. Because I, mean, <laughs> I feel like at that point, it's on you, right? Like, if you're trying to uh-huh. avoid spoilers, you wouldn't listen to a podcast, especially one that literally has a robot saying spoilers over and over again, so. Uh-huh. <laughs> but anyway, I'll get off my soapbox for now. Uh, join us next week as we break down episode two of The Book of Boba Fett. This week's episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Is something preventing you from achieving your goals? What interferes with your happiness? Perhaps our sponsor, BetterHelp.com, is the service for you. BetterHelp is professional counseling, and it's all done securely online. They're committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches with a counselor that fits your needs. These are licensed professional counselors who are specialized in everything from depression, stress, anxiety, and relationships, to sleeping trauma, anger, family conflicts, LGBT matters, and grief and self-esteem. This is not a crisis line, and it's not self-help. It's professional counseling with the convenience to send a message to your counselor at any time. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses, plus you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions. And you can connect in a safe and private online environment. It's so convenient you can start communicating in under 48 hours. And what's great about BetterHelp is that it's more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is available. I know that there was definitely a time in my life where I needed an outside perspective and or, you know, someone who would just hear me out. And that's the kind of counseling you can get from BetterHelp. And I love that there's no uncomfortable waiting rooms. In fact, the service is available for clients worldwide. Also, it's free to change counselors if needed. But don't just take our word for it. Check out the testimonials posted daily on their site. Damon, I've heard so many people have been using BetterHelp that they're recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. We want you to start living a happier life today. As a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting our sponsor, BetterHelp.com slash listener. Join over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health. Again, that's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash listener and get 10% off your first month today. That's BetterHelp.com slash listener. Help is just a click away. Well, now it's time for Christian's Corner. This year on stream, we have played more games than ever before. So I'm excited for next week's episode as I talk about my game of the year. But before that, this week, I wanted to give my grades for a couple games we recently finished on stream. That being Guardians of the Galaxy and the entire Mass Effect Legendary Edition. Starting with Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy, you can tell Eidos Montreal put the narrative element of the game as its front most important aspect. As while the game is fun, if it weren't for that incredibly entertaining team dynamic, I could easily see this game just being too repetitive. 
Most of the levels were designed extremely similar to one another, but the interactions between characters during gameplay and cutscenes kept my butt glued to the seat as I wanted to know how this story was going to play out. The Guardians team is so fun and truly feels like a family unit. I personally appreciated that they didn't use Gamora as a love interest for Peter as well as it allowed for a different kind of bond than what we have seen in the live action films at least. And of course Drax similarly to the film stole the show with the dev team really capturing both the charm of the film and the comic book version of this character plus all the other characters as a whole. Eidos Montreal you know really blended everything perfectly giving you tons of comic book lore while also perfectly encapsulating the team's dynamic from the comics and films. And like I said earlier, the gameplay was pretty repetitive, but I did find challenge in picking the perfect game plan each time I was faced with new enemy types. But with a lack of diversity in level design, I definitely feel like the game was, you know, leaving me wanting more out of it. Like one major improvement in a sequel could have been have more than, you know, four set abilities for each character. You know, forcing players to choose what each character has locked in their slots before each battle. Big bosses are also something I think needs a big improvement in this game as each one of those encounters were fairly easy. You know, I had way more of a struggle with common enemies than I did with these like massive behemoths that we would go into battles with. So I think the difficulty there could easily be raised up a notch if, they, if we are to get a sequel of this game. But either way, I do have to give credit where credit is due. And I had many fears going into another Square Enix Marvel title, especially after the disappointment from the Avengers game. Eidos Montreal gave me an experience I didn't want to put down. And for all those reasons, I'm giving Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy a B plus. But that wasn't the only game I played this summer as we also went through the entirety of the Mass Effect Legendary Edition. We played all three games back to fucking back and I can truly say I am a Mass Effect fan now. However, the first two games were nowhere near as an enjoyable experience as the final game in the trilogy. The writing in Mass Effect 3 stands out entirely compared to 1 and 2, and while 2 definitely had the more drastic player choices, I found myself really falling in love with the game during the third installment. But that third game also spends a good portion of its intro retconning or making it so that the first two games don't fully affect your third playthrough. And as I got into the third game, that really bothered me that the first two games choices didn't affect this one as much as we do know more mass effect games are you know in the works i think if the core elements are left intact you know this franchise could find new life in the future just with the right team and if i were to individually grade each game i would give mass effect one probably a b minus because of its simple because of its simple story and sometimes stiff gameplay. It was a solid introduction to the universe, but a lot of the writing felt lazy, even for the time it came out. But the graphical updates on the Legendary Edition were impressive seeing how it looked before um, they did the Legendary Edition versus how it is now. Uh, Mass Effect 2, on the other hand, would get a B plus. The biggest thing holding back Mass Effect 2 was its gunfights and cover system. I felt the story vastly matured, but doesn't overall affect the events of Mass Effect 3 quite the way that I had expected. But, but like Guardians of the Galaxy, I was deeply invested in the story and did not want to put the game down, even with gameplay mechanics that often frustrated me. But Mass Effect 3, on the other hand, I would give an A minus. Solid gameplay, but at times fit felt a bit too easy, like I had a gun 
for like half of the game that pretty much could one-shot anybody. But, really, but what it really came down to was the story and character development between the team members, which was just absolutely out of this world and made me want to, and really made me want much more out of the Mass Effect franchise, which also helps me understand even more why Andromeda was you know, that much more of a letdown in people's eyes. I mean, Mass Effect 3, just had so many endearing moments that really made me fall in love with these characters and, and want to see what else you know they could put in a story for Mass Effect. Though it probably did help having you know created connections with these characters through one and two as I was playing them back to back. And I think for the entire experience, I feel comfortable giving Mass Effect Legendary Edition an A minus altogether. What a great bundle of these three games that you get all for the price of one. You know, with updated graphics and still keeping in line with their original gameplay, I still had a great time playing through all of them and would probably happily play them for a second time as well. So, I mean, if you haven't tried either Mass Effect or Guardians of the Galaxy, I definitely recommend them both. Plus, if you haven't catched any of our playthrough of them, I believe they're still up. You can catch probably the second half of both games on Twitch right now. Um, and speaking of Twitch, you know, with all the holiday hoopla, my schedule has been all over the place, but a new year is upon us and I am dedicating time to getting more gaming content out there for all of you. So make sure you are following us over on Twitch as we are going to be live Thursday through Sunday every single week. You know, uh, Replay Thursday is going to be coming back and we'll be playing more games from my childhood and stuff like that to go along with our Thursday WWE 2K19 Universe Mode Show Blockbuster. So make sure to check out the channel when you get a chance. We're also continuing all of our space adventures in Alien Isolation and Halo Infinite. Plus 2022 has a ton, and I mean a ton of great games coming out. And you can catch our future preview of what's coming out in 2022 in the upcoming weeks. But still, I can't wait to play all these games live with you on Twitch. So definitely join us when you get a chance and you can sub for free using your Amazon Prime account if you're interested in helping support the show. This week's episode of The Amazing Nerd Show is sponsored by Manscaped. Cheers to 2022 and resolutions you can actually keep. How about having clean and shiny balls all year round? Our sponsors at Manscaped are here to save your balls this year and make the ball drop into 2022 the cleanest and sexiest ever. Set your first New Year's resolution with good intentions and join the 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with our exclusive offer. Go to manscaped.com and use code 20AMAZING for 20% off plus free shipping. Start off 2022 right by rocking your package high and tight. Let all past regrets go along with your pubes as that countdown clock strikes midnight. It's New Year, New Me with global leaders in below the waist grooming. This year, take your package to the next level with their Performance Package 4.0 and brand new Ultra Premium Body Wash. Inside the Performance Package 4.0, you'll find the Signature Lawnmower 4.0. This electric trimmer is designed to trim hair on loose skin. The advanced skin-safe technology reduces cuts and nicks on your delicate nuts. It also comes equipped with a 4000K LED spotlight that will shine a light to the promised land that 2022 looks to be. A grooming routine isn't complete without applying the Crop Preserver and Crop Reviver before showing off your 2022 self. These unique formulations take care of the smelliest part of your body and are a big boost to your confidence into the new year. To complete the set, Manscaped threw in their Shed Travel and Anti-Chafing Boxer Briefs as a free gift to keep all your goodies stored comfortably. And the new product that needs no introduction, the Ultra Premium Body Wash from Manscaped solves all three for the perfect addition to your daily grooming routine. But in the shower, I shower every day and hope you do too. This body wash smells great too. It's 
cologne infused with aloe vera and sea salt to keep your skin feeling clean, nice, and moisturized. Kick discomfort and poor hygiene to the curb this year and use the best tools for the job. Whether your resolution is to work out more or travel to new places, be sure to travel to manscaped.com for our exclusive offer of 20% off plus free shipping with our code 20AMAZING. Cheers to new balls in 2022. Again, get 20% off and free shipping with the code 20amazing at manscaped.com. That's 20% off plus free shipping at manscaped.com and use our code 20amazing. It's new year, no pubes in 2022 with Manscaped. All right, Christian. So you also watched a Netflix series this week. That's right. I watched the second season of The Witcher. Something has changed, girl. The world's acting strange these days. The North and South are war. Monsters roaming when they should be hibernating. Maybe it's the end of days. Are you winning? I've lived through three supposed end of days. It's all horseshit. Geralt of Rivia, a solitary monster hunter, struggles to find his place in a world where people often prove more wicked than beasts. The series stars Henry Cavill, Freya Allen, and Anya Shalatra. Back into the massive world of The Witcher, we find ourselves getting deeper into the story of Ciri. And season two really looked to build up her lore along with her relationship with Geralt. However, that relationship building and arc is probably the only high spot about this season, as the rest of the show still kind of floats by trying to do something interesting with poorly defined side characters. Yennefer herself is the biggest issue of this season. Separated from our other two main characters, Yennefer has to deal with the consequences of, you know, saving everyone at the end of last season. Pretty much, they all hate her for using fire magic. And the journey that Yennefer goes through really just seems to stall her progression in comparison to the first season. And while this season had a linear story, Yennefer's was just all over the place altogether. But in the end, I did quite enjoy the straightforward tale this time around, instead of all that time jumping we got in season one. And to give the season some praise, the monster elements were a major upgrade in the special effects area, though the encounters were pretty few. This season was way more dialogue heavy, but they did a lot to flesh out the lore of it all, making Ciri really that centerpiece of this season altogether. We finally see her begin, you know, her Witcher training, and it really helps endear her to the character, as I wasn't as interested in her season one self. Geralt is also put in a more fatherly role, and gets a lot of that inspiration from Vesemir, who is in this season, who we see him interacting with Geralt in a more fatherly way, which all just kind of worked and felt solid in my eyes. It it really just comes back to, you know, cutting away to Yennefer and dealing with all the Nilfgaard problems. You know, every time I thought they were doing something interesting with the character or interesting with some of the side characters, whatever confrontation they would get into would just end blandly. But all in all, I still feel like there's a ton of potential for this show, but they are definitely going to have to, you know, turn it up a notch if they want people to stay interested in it. There's just so many moments where it feels like someone's going to get beheaded or something like really like gruesome and cool is going to happen. And it just doesn't. It's like stuff like I would expect from shows like Game of Thrones and stuff like that just don't seem to happen in this show. And I get it. They're, they're completely different projects, but I definitely feel like this show could use a little bit more of the darker side of The Witcher. Anyway, for season two of The Witcher, I give it a B-. And if that's the 
She's the first Brandy I've ever known that wasn't a stripper. Whoa, 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 whoa. That's not currently a stripper. Because now she's a wrestler. <laughs> Excellent point. All right, Christian, it's that time again. Let's talk some wrestling. Uh, this week, we had AEW's New Year's Smash, uh, the final Dynamite on TNT before they move to TBS next week. Uh, before the show started, uh, we had a big ovation for the returning JR, who after weeks of radiation treatment is now cancer-free. Uh, it was great to hear him in the booth again, and, you know, awesome news. Exactly. Congrats, dude. All right, so to start off the night, we had a giant 10-man tag. Christian, who was all involved in this? The match had Matt Hardy, Private Party, and FTR teaming up together to defeat Jungle Boy, Luchasaurus, Christian Cage, and the tag team champions, the Lucha Brothers. So this is definitely one of AEW's signature circus matches uh, to start off the card. Uh, lots of moving parts here. Uh, incredibly busy, but very entertaining. Still the same. Uh, it seemed to be all about really just setting up you know, the title match between Jurassic Express and the Lucha Brothers, honestly, mm -hmm. um, which I thought they did a good job of. Uh, I'm curious to see, you know, where that feud is going to go. Uh, it definitely feels like Christian's going to be turning heel sooner than later. And it seems like he's trying to kind of sway, you know, Jurassic Express, like, to the dark side a little. I'm wondering if, you know, mm -hmm. he does something to, like, possibly cheat to help them win. I mean, we do know that Christian's been trying to give an edge to the team recently, uh, just with, like, the, you know, promos that he's been doing. Uh, you know, so I'm wondering if, you know, something happens in the match where Jurassic Express, you know, feels conflicted. That puts them at odds with Christian. Because um, I don't foresee the team actually turning. That would make no fucking sense whatsoever. <laughs> but, you know, I, I feel like it's definitely going to lead to some kind of feud between Christian and, you know, Jungle Boy down the line. Which just, I mean, I think we've kind of mapped this from, like, day one since they kind of started to, like, you know pair together i mean story-wise it makes sense it's you know dude uh so i don't know I'm, I'm here for it christian's a great heel so i mean it, it's been i don't know a long time coming honestly yeah i mean we've been talking about this for months but this week in particular especially his actions during the match with like him tagging himself in and i know the lucha brothers were doing that as well mm. but it really felt like he was just trying to stick it to them there at the end of the match Oh, absolutely so yeah Absolutely. Exactly. You know, uh, but yeah, and there's been a few promos by Christian mm -hmm. recently after the feud with like the super click um, where you, you he I think he like guaranteed that he was going to help get the uh, Jurassic Express the titles. So, you know, just that kind of like guaranteed was like underlined. Yeah. Just the way he said it made it feel like, OK, he's going to do something devious, you know, to make sure they win those belts. So, um, but I do think, you know, the pairing between, you know, Jurassic Express and uh, Christian has been a good thing. I feel like Jungle Boy's really been coming out of his shell lately. Uh, the promos he's been cutting is, is a huge improvement from what we saw from him, like, in the first, like, part of his career. So, I mean, he's only really been cutting, like, you know, promos since, you know, teaming with Christian. But, like, from day mm -hmm. one to now, I mean... It's night and day, honestly. 
Oh, significant improvements. But, I mean, it's going to be perfect for when he becomes corporate boy and we get, you know, Lucha CEO. <laughs> perfect <laughs> oh, evil team God. ever. Oh, my God. Vince McMahon has scarred you. <laughs> I love that you just assume that this is going to be a corporate Kane situation. <laughs> exactly. It doesn't even make sense. It's not like Christian is no. corporate. <laughs> not at all. But whatever, man. Uh, I, I do. I mean, that'd be a great heel. Like if he did turn heel, if he like cut his hair or something like that. Uh huh. You know. <laughs> you know, rocked it like high and tight, manscape style. <laughs> well, all right what do we have up next christian uh, we have daniel garcia and 2.0 defeating eddie kingston along with his good pal santina and or santina? santana and ortiz <laughs> i keep saying santina i don't know why santina's bad i have been scarred <laughs> <laughs> um man eddie is so fucking over um uh, just i mean the crowd just loves him i mean <laughs> like even if they wanted to turn him heel i don't think they could honestly like i mean the guy's just that over right now so um i thought this was a good match i i had a feeling jericho was going to make an appearance here and that's what happened um you know it'll be interesting to see where that goes uh 2.0 they're just a solid team like they're mm-hmm. they're always going to give you a good match regardless. Uh, yeah, sometimes they feel like you know FTR light in some ways. Just how they're able to elevate the talent that they're going up against. Sometimes I always picture them as the nasty boys light. So I don't know. Like <laughs> they do have, especially Matt. Like he just feels like he's like uh, Nob's long lost son. So, uh, but yeah, no, I, they're still a fun team. I mean, really entertaining. Mm-hmm. And uh, what Garcia? It's Garcia, right? I always get his name mixed yeah, up. Daniel yeah, Daniel Garcia. He's, yeah, he's awesome. So I would love just to see like a good one-on-one match between him and Eddie. I'm sure that's where this is kind of headed. So after the match, Garcia ended up hitting Santana with the ring bell, uh, which cued Jericho's music, uh, who ran out with Floyd clearing the ring. Uh, Kingston got into Jericho's face. Uh, they're definitely headed to a feud. Um, I'm guessing they're probably going to team up against 2.0 before that happens, though. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, you know, things will, of course, explode. Uh, Jericho was rather late, though, <laughs> in running out. Um, <laughs> that seems to be a theme with baby faces on uh, Dynamite uh, this week. Uh, just kind of like running out just a little too late to make the save. Uh, we had a situation later on in the night with Ruby where I was like, where were you? Like, <laughs> But it's OK. Uh, but yeah, no. Um, if this all leads to Jericho versus Kingston, I mean... Just the mic work alone is going to be fucking gold. So I'm really looking forward to that. Uh, But like in the meantime, I do hope we get that Garcia Kingston match. Uh, You know, they had a match on Rampage, which was they didn't get enough time, I felt like. So I'm hoping they get another, you know, chance at it and, you know, a little more time. I feel like they'll probably do it like that on a, like a TV special, and then the pay-per-view, whatever that next one is, will be the Chris Jericho-Kingston match. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. Maybe even during their uh, TBS debut. I do want to bring up, we we had a lot of, like, multi-man tag matches this week. Yes. And I, <laughs> I always question, like, 
AEW's booking of these things, like the way that they like book the like card overall, like they they mm. kind of like bunch up these multi man matches. It's so weird to me. I don't know if it's just like me, you know, being like brought up on WWE where like they go out of their way to really like pace the card, um, you know, so you don't have the same kind of match back to back. So that that did stand out to me that we had you know two very similar matches back to back here. Um, I would have rather had them have like a singles match in between to kind of break it up a little. Because also with, you know, AEW style, there's always so much shit going on in all these like multi-team uh. matches that like, I don't know, it, it you become numb to it when you have the matches back to back like this. So I, I just would like to see them pace the card out a little more. Like I almost expected this match to turn out to just be a brawl by the end because... Like, I was expecting it to be so much different than the first match we got. Because otherwise, I'm like, why have these matches back-to-back? Like, I almost thought, you know, Eddie will just kind of lose it in the ring. You know, he won't even tag anyone because he's so focused on getting Daniel Garcia or something like that. And that did seem like it was going to happen at one point during the commercial Mm -hmm. break. You see Kingston losing his fucking mind. And I was like, oh, when they come back, this match is going to be called off or something. And that that didn't happen, though. So, um, but yeah, no, it, it was interesting. Like I, cause this isn't the first time it's happened where, you know, once again, like, and they love these multi-team matches, but <laughs> you know, they like to bunch them all up together for some reason. So no, there's been several over the last few weeks. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, I mean, and it's just, I think it's part of just having such a giant roster and trying to get everyone mm-hmm. like TV time. Um, but you know what? Not every week is WrestleMania. So not everyone needs to be on the fucking card. So it's okay, you know, if someone has to sit out. Um, but well, they do these, you know, back-to-back TV specials. So I guess in their mind, they're like, "Oh, we got to make each one of them as special as the last." They have to have as many people as possible. Right, what do we have next, Christian, on the card? MJF's in the back talking with the Pinnacle. He's, you know, pretty much dismissing Punk. He's saying he's done with him. He's also he's going uh, after the gold. Teasing going to WWE. You know, a place that's more professional, he said. Uh-huh. Uh, and then he makes he alludes to like the bidding war of 2024, which I'm guessing is when his uh, contract's up. He also pulled the classic like heel move, uh, claiming that CM Punk was the one who was avoiding him <laughs> in their uh, tag match last week. Uh, when we know that, you know, it was MJF literally running through the crowd, yeah. <laughs> which was a great heel moment. Uh, but then he turns his attention to Wardlow. And uh, he tells Warlow that he needs to start racking up wins, uh, you know, so he can get his hands on that TNT title and then turn it over to MJF. Uh, And Warlow gives him kind of a, you know, sideways scowl. And then all of a sudden Mark Sterling comes to the room, who was MJF's lawyer at one point. I don't know if you remember during the Moxley feud and, you know, read off a contract (laughs) to Wardlow with the clause saying that, you know, any belt he wins while employed by MJF. He needs to hand over to him. So, um, yeah, we'll see if that actually happens. I'm guessing we'll probably have, you know, some kind of like face turn from Warlow before that, you know, though. I feel like we'll get to that moment where like he has to relinquish the title over and he'll, he'll be like one of those things where he has to be pinned to do it anyway. So he'll just attack MJF in the ring and then just w- so walk off. So you really think they're building to a Wardlow versus like Cody and he beats Cody? Yeah, I think that will happen. I don't know. I feel like it's going to happen beforehand. 
Um, just, you know, with the way they're building up Wardlow right now in his matches and how they have like Spears after the fact, you know, beating the shot of his opponent with a chair. I think Wardlow is going to have enough of that turn on Spears. And then that's going to, you know, start a feud between like him and the pinnacle. Um, but maybe you're right. I don't know. I just feel like Sammy didn't have that belt for very long. So I don't see mm-hmm. Cody having a short like title reign. And if someone's going to beat Cody for that belt, I feel like it's going to be Sammy. Um, but we'll see. Well, when even is the face of the revolution ladder match that qualifies for this anyway? I, I Probably the next pay-per-view. Yeah. So that's, <laughs> so we, so that's, we got some that's time. March, <laughs> though. So. I mean, the only reason I mention that is because that's what MJF told him to do, was to get enough wins so that he could qualify for that uh, face of the revolution ladder match. I hate that name. <laughs> ah, right. That is an awful name. Uh, that's a good point. I mean, it does feel like there's definitely setting something up then. Um, mm-hmm. That's in March. I don't know, man. That's a lot of power bombing that Wardlow's going to have to do. <laughs> <laughs> it, you know what, though? And that brings us to, like, the next match. Um, it's getting over, though, with the crowd. You know, the mm-hmm. crowd is enjoying it. What do they call it? The, his Symphony of Power Bombs? Symphony of Power Bombs, Something yeah. like that. Yeah. I don't know about that name, but <laughs> it is, you know, getting over. So that that's all that matters. I do want to see Wardlow have, like, some kind of, like, mini feud in between where we actually get to see him wrestle. Um, you know, but I don't know if that's going to happen. Because I feel, I feel like we we don't get to see Wardlow in the ring much. And I, I mean, once again, I don't watch Dark or Rev- elevation so you know maybe he's there weekly um but i I, if he is i have a feeling it's probably more of the same just power bombs and power bombs exactly so (laughs) i I don't know i need to see his ring work to know that he's ready for a big feud with mjf because right now i'm just i don't know i'm just not buying it but specifically with them bringing up that moment i think it has to play out that way it's just in my mind Mm -hmm. it has to play out with you know, MJF being like, oh, now you have to relinquish the title. And that would be the perfect be. moment for him to just be like, nope, here's a symphony of power bombs yeah. over and over and over it again. It would be, so it'll be a very huge Batista and Evolution. Like, it's literally the uh-huh. same thing. <laughs> <laughs> when Batista ended up winning the Royal Rumble and he had to choose, like, who he was going to fight, you know, at WrestleMania in the main events. And then, yeah. Yeah, it'd be the same exact thing. Um, <laughs> I mean, I could see them going that direction. It almost feels a little too predictable, though. So, like I said, I could see it happening, like them pulling the trigger before that, you know. Or, you mm. know, he doesn't win the belt and, you know, MGF berates him a little too much. And then that's what, you know, starts things off. So, um, but we'll see. I have no idea what the hell's going on with Cody. So that's <laughs> another reason why I just don't foresee Wardlow being the one who, you know, to dethrone him. But you know what? Before the Wardlow match happened, we had an interview with the Lucha Brothers and Tony Giovanni uh, with Christian Cage and Jurassic Express inter- uh, interrupting. Uh, they came out and basically both teams were at each other's throats, blaming each other for the loss. There were some good digs back and forth. It was basically a setup for the title match on the debut on uh, TBS next week. But anyway, this whole exchange was just a big setup for uh, the title match that's happening next week for the tag team titles. Gotcha. And then, of course, we had the Wardlow match that we just talked about. It was only a minute and 20 seconds. So, you know, four power bombs. Same though. as everything else. Four, four power, power bombs. bombs. <laughs> <laughs> Crowd was loving it, though. Uh, and then we got a backstage promo with the elite. Uh, we and the former 
Undisputed Era members all finally kind of like talking in the back. Seems like the Young Bucks not too happy with Kyle O'Reilly being around and, you know, him not even acknowledging their existence. Uh, Adam Cole tries to calm down the situation, but Kyle O'Reilly just says, hey, I just want to talk to you alone. Eventually gets everyone out of the room, except for Brandon Cutler for some reason. Well, he's um, filming. And... <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess everything needs to be filled. They don't for have some random reason. cameramen just walking around. <laughs> <laughs> That'd make no sense, Christian. I guess if you say so. <laughs> I will give them credit because one thing I've noticed is they always try to give a reason for the cameraman being there. There's never a case of like that, like weird fly on the wall situation that happens in WWE. Where, like, you have, like, you know, two heels talking over their secret plan in the back while, you know, a cameraman's uh-huh. rolling <laughs> for the world to see. They try to do it very organically. That's fair enough. I never really thought of it that way, but that makes sense. But anyway, O'Reilly pretty much addresses the NXT conflict that they had and how it might have, you know, affect their team up in the future here in AEW, which I was completely thrown off by. I was like, oh, they're continuing this storyline from NXT. Serious continuity (laughs) right there, right? Yes. I mean, I applaud it. Like, I'm Mm -hmm. so used to WWE just not even acknowledging any kind of outside brands or anything or any, like, you know, past history with these wrestlers. So I love the fact that, you know, Hey, of course, these guys were just feuding a couple months ago. Like, the last match Adam Cole had in NXT was against Kyle O'Reilly. So, I mean, it only makes sense for them to bring it up, especially if you're about to put them back together again as a unit. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there should be some kind of bad blood there or just, you know, uh, something to address that situation. You know, for me as a wrestling fan, they're not stupid AEW. They know that, you know, wrestling fans, especially a faction that is popular as, you know, Undisputed Era. So, Mm. I mean, I'm fine with that. I applaud that. That's not insulting your audience's intelligence like, you know, WWE does so many times. So, um, and it looks like from what unfolded later on in the main event, they're really using that, you know, storyline and that history between as like a jumping off point, you know, for a new angle, like, you know, O'Reilly's first angle in the company. Yeah, I guess I just half expected them to pull like, you know, something like with Chris Jericho, where he's just like, oh, that was bad booking. We're here doing something different. You know, like I I, I expected them to go more of that route. Like, oh, we're still friends, of course. Oh, you're talking about when Jericho was when the crowd was chanting like Jericho's old catchphrases or swaggers actually was swaggers yeah. old catchphrase at him we the people oh, yeah <laughs> um yeah and that was smart on jericho's point you know part to like kind of separate you know uh AEW from wwe um i don't know like here it like i don't know like i want to know i mean typically you're not, you're not wrong i mean but if you're gonna just put them back together like there needs to be a reason why all of a sudden they're friends again like i need something <laughs> so hmm. i don't know i applaud it so since Cody is now TNT champion, Dan Lambert came out to pretty much, you know, state, hey, we're coming after you. Started making all these comments about Brandy being a stripper, how it's a stripper name. Just kept really laying into the stripper joke, which I was like, oh, I get it. There's more jokes out there we could possibly put into this promo. But no, we stuck to that. Uh, and eventually Brandy shows up and kind of, you know, challenges Dan Lambert to a fight. Um, and Dustin has to come out, of course, stop any of this from happening. And the man of the men of the year, I should say, just end up attacking him. 
So I actually like the back and forth between Brandy and Lambert here. I thought Brandy actually kind of held her own on the mic, um, you know, and the crowd didn't completely hate her. <laughs> I mean, half of them hated her, uh-huh. but like <laughs> what she was saying was at least getting over with them. I did like the Heyman line. Uh, I like Lambert's whole Jim Cornette line. I thought that was well done. Uh, my only question, though, was where the fuck was Cody during this? That's a good point. And I, I, I'm <laughs> guessing that was done purposely, you know, like, you know, like people would be like, why is it Cody coming out and, you know, you know, jumping to his wife's honor? Uh, why would Dustin, you know, you know, be the one to run out? And then Dustin gets jumped and still no Cody. So once again, I do feel like this is AEW doing some like subconscious, you know, Jedi mind trick booking here, like trying to like, you know, get, you know, the audience to doubt, you know, Cody as the baby face, um, you know, just like the whole like Cody winning the belt from Sammy, um, you know, getting that title shot when he probably wasn't deserving at that point. I know he went through a flaming table, but I didn't feel like he was high on the, the ranking board. I could be wrong, but um, it did feel like it was kind of gifted uh-huh. to him. Uh, but I feel like, you know, they're kind of trying to now, like, pull the audience's strings here um, and just really, like, question, like, you know, how genuine Cody really is. Uh, but, the, yeah, so I, I'm guessing this is going to lead to some kind of tag match with, you know, Dustin and Cody versus the Men of the Year. We did find out later on in the show that we are getting a TNT title defense from Cody uh, versus uh, Ethan Page on Rampage. So uh, that will be happening this Friday. I mean, in defense of Cody here, I mean, there was a whole year of AEW where Cody was just getting beat down left and right. Where was the Nightmare Factory or family or whatever they want to call themselves? Where where were they then? This is his. So he doesn't help his this brother. This is his here. wife. All right. <laughs> <laughs> the mother she, of his yeah, children. She's about I get to it, fight but... an old man. <laughs> <laughs> He's got like a black belt. <laughs> I did think it was funny that it was her cousin in the ring too, who was like, you know, rolling uh-huh. on the ground while Lambert were make, was making these jokes. And she even mentions it like, oh, thanks a lot, family. You know, um, because Scorpio <laughs> Sky is her cousin. I mean, for me, I'm just not a fan of Brandy or Dan Lambert. Like, I, I just, whenever they do any type of promo, I'm usually checked out. So I just, ah, this this whole moment wasn't for me. But again, with all these different, like, we just did back-to-back, you know, promo segments and stuff like that. I thought they should have split yes. the matches apart with, you know, some of this in between. Sandwich some of these promos in between the matches. I agree 100% because we got, yes. like, three segments in a row. And the one match we did have was, like, a minute and 20, the Wardlow match. So, once exactly. again, it's just weird pacing, you know, the entire, like, card. So, um, and that's been happening I feel like a lot lately, but I mean, knowing Tony Khan, there's probably some kind of like genius level math to all this, you know, when it comes to like quarter sure. hours and shit. <laughs> so, I mean, I don't know. I'm not going to question. Well, it. in our next match, we had Jade Cardgill defeat Thunder Rosa in the TBS championship tournament semifinal. I love Thunder Rosa's uh, Wolverine cosplay. Uh, she came out as Lauren mm-hmm. rocking the two claws on each fist. Uh, I thought that was really cool. Um, I thought Rosa did a great job trying to, like, carry Cardkill through this match. <laughs> Although I will say now, I will say I've seen a lot of improvement from Jay, though. You know, over the last, what, like, she's been in the company for maybe eight months at this point. And she's been having, yeah. like, this has got to be her longest match. 
like this 10 minute match besides mm-hmm. that like initial tag match with Shaq where I mean she was maybe in the ring for a minute or two like total so I felt like this match was fine for what it was um and honestly with the way that they're pushing Jade like she doesn't need to work long matches she's supposed to be that monster who's just destroying people in the ring um that fucking kick to the head though holy shit like i thought like thunder rosa's head was literally going to come off her fucking like shoulders and fly (laughs) into the second row um it was pretty fucking nasty like i had like strong like goldberg bret hart like flashbacks um which actually ended up you know ending hart's career so um hopefully rosa's okay i mean she finished the match all right but i mean that shit was scary um but yeah no i i thought the match was fine they stayed on the outside for a really long time in the very beginning and i think that was done purposely um no one got lost you know which you know tends to happen sometimes with jade matches um but i think they probably mapped it out really well and you could definitely tell like thunder was like you know calling the shots of the ring because you could actually like hear her calling out spots here and there so and then, uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, that's what a good ge- ring general does so um what did you think of the surprise um at the end of the match you know mercedes martinez was you know far from my mind and she came out and actually attacked rosa at the end of this match that's what um you know brought the finish along uh because rosa was looking like she could possibly win at a certain yes. point there but um mercedes comes out attacks her mask up and then eventually rips it off um, and I was, I guess she was the furthest thing from my mind because I didn't expect her to show up again, at least not here. I thought maybe Impact mm-hmm. or somewhere else, especially since she had left here to go to WWE. Right. She so, did that. Uh, I, she I did know, one I'm, like Battle Royal match, right? And the yes. very early mm-hmm. like stages of AEW. She was like the Joker spot. Was she <laughs> the Joker in that? Okay. Yeah. And then like NXT signed her like the next week or something weird, right? Okay. Exactly. Yeah. It's all coming back to me. Um, yeah, you know, it took me a moment to, like, absorb, like, who it was. Because <laughs> last mm-hmm. time we saw her, she had that fucking stupid mask on, right? Yeah, she was part of that group, right? Retribution yes. in WWE? Yeah. And, oh, she had, but then she, didn't she quit? She she didn't want to be part of it. So then she went back to NXT. She had, like, a short little feud. And then she got let, let go. So I, I believe that's what happened. Because we did see her pop up. Wasn't she fighting, like, Zia Lee or something? Zia Lee? Maybe. Yes. Yes. Yes, she was. Right before Zia Lee started doing that weird thing with the ancient one or whatever the hell they call it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was, yeah. I don't, I think that angle, is that angle still going on or no? Zia Lee is actually, I don't Smackdown. know. Okay. Let's not go down that rabbit hole. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but yes, no, I was excited to see her though. Um, You know, at the end of the day, I think she's going to do nothing but boost the women's division for AEW. Um, mm. I don't, is she definitely under contract? Did they make the little like, you know, do we see the little graphic on social media? You know, I've seen it popped up, but I haven't seen it from AEW oh, myself. So, it might have been so fan I, made. I'll probably just need to check there. Because so. usually if yeah. she's like actually on a long term deal, you know, they'll do the whole like, you know, Mercedes Martinez is now, you know, all elite graphic. So. Yeah. But I mean, it's a pretty big spot. So I would assume that's probably the case or it's going to be the case. And they're just, you know, testing the waters right now. So, but I mean, she's a solid worker. And like I said, I feel like she does nothing but improve your women's division. So, I mean, they're getting stronger and stronger by the week. Right after the uh, Mercedes Martinez reveal, uh, they started to beat down Thunder Rosa. uh, But then we hear Ruby Soho's music hit. She comes running out with a pipe. 
Um, I felt like she was a little late. Uh-huh. <laughs> Honestly, you know, she kind of pulled the Jericho here, but it really did a nice job of setting up the match uh, between Ruby and Jade uh, for the inaugural TBS women's title, uh, which will be taking place next week on Dynamite. Yeah. Um, Damon, in wrestling, I just do they have to have their music go off if they're coming to make a save? <laughs> Like, do they have to go to the guy and be like, cue up my music, I'm going in for the save. Hit my music, right? Like, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you would think, like, telegraphing, like, a run-in like that would be really dangerous, and you're just, like, setting yourself up for a beatdown, because you're basically telling, you know, the heels you're coming out, right? Yes. (laughs) So they could just get ready for you, right? And stomp the shit out of you as you get in the ring. Um, It's wrestling logic, I get it. Yes, yeah. It's just part of the show, (laughs) Christian. Makes it more dramatic. <laughs> it gets the crowd to like be like, ah, oh, yeah. Yes, yes. It's all about the pop. It's for them. Uh-huh. We're always, you're chasing the pop, Christian wrestling. Just double checking the roster page. And yeah, she's there now with a 0-0 record. So we'll see how it goes. Okay. Looks like she's official then, right? Yep. Um, so, uh, you know, this is completely a sidebar. But what do you think about Tony Storm uh, requesting her release and getting it? from wwe today i think it's a smart move for her because i can't imagine what they were going to do with her going forward like she did it did seem like she was going to get a title match at the pay-per-view she lost against charlotte Charlotte, yeah but the way she lost the match it left it open to a rematch Hmm. but i guess she saw the right in the wall and said (laughs) fuck it and i'm out So, I mean, good for her. Mm -hmm. I mean, I guess I shouldn't really be surprised that WWE was so willing to just, like, cut ties with her that quickly. But, I mean, I guess that's been, like, the practice right now in that company. Um, You know, if you want your release, it seems like you can get it. So I mean, tell that to Ricochet, but... (laughs) I think he's just counting his money and he's just happy as can be. Probably. Um, Next, we had a little recap from last week with uh, some footage from the Layla Hirsch and Chris Statlander match. Yeah, it was a match that was on Rampage. Pretty damn good match. Uh, This seems to be a developing feud, which I am definitely excited for. And I'm happy that AEW seems to be trying to feature more packages, especially with the women's division on the show. Mm. But hey, how about, you know, just another women's match instead of the one per week that we get? That would be nice. But it was crazy, man. That that whole moment where she walks past and not doing the handshake, that was like, ripped straight out of the wwe games like that's one of the like main like first few things you can do (laughs) so i was like or like millions of hours of just actual wrestling shows Uh (laughs) i love that you feel like you know the game is like booking its own original (laughs) storylines no i just think it's hilarious how like it was just so exact the animation that I that you uh, see happen, I was like, oh, this is uh, exactly. Okay, I see how what you're looks. saying. I was like, Christian, that's a wrestling angle that's taken place over the last. No, like, I know hundred years. <laughs> <laughs> then we got a package for Britt Baker and Riho's upcoming match uh, at the uh, Battle of the Belts show that they're going to be doing. Yes, I believe is that January eighth, Christian. I believe so. It's going to be a Saturday show. I believe it's a Saturday, yeah. right? Um, yeah, I mean, it should be a good match, uh, although I don't foresee Rio winning. Mm. Um, but like, once again, like, why not have a tag match here, you know, with the women, you know, set, you know, set all this up, you know, with like some kind of tag match or something like that to further the storyline, you know, because this is a lot of video packages happening on the show now. 
Well, and again, Riho has barely had any time on yes. you know the sh- actual shows rather than you know dark and stuff like that. That's actually televised, I should say. Yes. So you're not really doing her any favors, mm-hmm. you know, and helping like build her up at all. Like you know, the crowd's going to get behind her, like actually watching her wrestle. So um, I don't know. I I don't know why they have such a hardened quota of one women's match per dynamite. Uh, but I really wish they would break that because I just feel like that division's not going to flourish until they do so. Mm-hmm. And if that wasn't enough promos for you, we had a CM Punk promo where he came out and, you know, thanked JR for coming back. And of course, he then, you know, made fun of MJF running away from him and, you know, from in last week's match and stuff like that. And pretty much said that I'm going to be the thorn in his side and, you know, his quest to become a champion. Yeah. Yeah, I I don't know. Like this promo didn't really do much for me. It kind of felt aimless. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if Punk got lost at one point, <laughs> but like I was like, where are you going? Like, are you saying you're done with MGF or you're not done with MGF? He made the whole Tim Tebow like crack, which was fine. Um, but I don't know. It, it was just weird to me. Like something was off with it. Um, it just felt a little like directionless, you know, especially for a CM Punk promo. Uh, so I don't know, not his best like work on the mic. Um, but I don't know. I don't know if they're kind of putting the whole MJF punk, like, you know, feud on ice for right now and like are planning on to revisit it in a little bit. Um, which if that's the case, I am kind of disappointed. Uh, but I, I guess we'll have to just wait and see. I mean, the gist of what he said in my mind was, yeah, we're, we're pausing right now on this feud. Um, and we'll be building up till the next time we see each other, which is it's but, I mean, fine. But yeah, I get it. I'm, I'm disappointed that they're not going into a direct match at one of these special events or even like trying yeah. to play up towards a pay-per-view match at some point. And maybe this is all smoke and mirrors and that is what's going to happen. But like they know that's like three weeks off, so they need some time in between. Mm-hmm. But like, I, I don't know. Like I said, I'm done with Punk Cunningham's promos now at this point. You know, where he's basically doing the, like, welcome back tour. Like, I'm over that, you know. I need to see Punk in some kind of, like, actual feud of some sort or some kind of program of some sort. So, but I'm I'm wondering if this was just done as kind of a placeholder for right now. And then, like, in a week or two, we'll get back to it. Because I just, I have a hard time imagining with, like, the feud having such a hot start. Like, getting away from it at this point after, you know, that tag match. Um, that, cause that, I don't know. It was, it was a tag match. It's yeah. a multi-person tag match. That didn't prove anything. That's not like, <laughs> you know, that's not the end of any kind of program. You know, that's like the beginning. That's the appetizer to a bigger program. So, um, but maybe they realize that, you know, the pay-per-views in March and we've got to wait and, you know, we got to string this along a little more, but I don't know. I don't know. There's other ways to go about it. Cause like I said, these, these promos, are just getting exhausting to me, honestly, at this point. <laughs> I mean, once again, I know we've said this a lot today, but just weird booking, like to have like this many, like, you know, vignettes and, you know, uh, promos back to back to back. And then having like, you know, your show start off with, you know, back to back, like multi-man, like tag matches, <laughs> you know, it's like this weird, like cluster, like booking. I don't get it. Because even there was a promo during the commercial break with Sammy Guevara and his card saying that he's going to go after Cody Rhodes pretty much in the next year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that didn't really do much for me. I was like, Sammy's got the cards mm-hmm. again. You know, like I was like, <laughs> we're back to this. I mean, I do think it's more glaring, like seeing like, you know, this card on paper. 
Um, Cause like when I was watching this live, you know, I didn't notice it, but it didn't really like hurt my viewing experience overall, which is all that really mm-hmm. matters. But yeah, it, it is weird booking. But yeah, no, after they came back from break, you know, after Sammy did like once again, like his day one gimmick with the fucking flashcards. Um, I don't know. Uh, but they had another talking segment with Sheeta and uh, Serena Deeb, which I'm super excited that this feud is still continuing. Uh, but it's like, why not set up some kind of like tag match or something like that to like, you know, get this feud really like boiling you know, with the crowd. So um I don't know. And they can they can fight other people too in the meantime. Like they can Yes. And have Deep come out like if Sheeta's in the match in a match with someone and then have Serena come out and interfere. I mean, do something, you know, or have you know, Deep in the audience watching, you know, scowling yeah, at her. I, I mean, there's a million different directions you can go, but like still put on a fucking wrestling match. And then Shivani came out and interviewed Brian Pillman uh in the middle of the ring. Uh Pillman, I guess cut a promo on Malachi Black stating, you know, I'm next, but I'm not going to come to your house. You're going to come to me. Malachi did show up, uh, you know, for a brief second, pointed at him, you know, menacingly. Uh, lights went out, uh, and then we saw his feet walking away, which was funny. But <laughs> <laughs> I gotta say, man, I feel like Daly's Place is just snake-bitten. Like, they always have these weird production issues at Daly's Place. Um, which is strange when you think about it because they shot for so long at Daly's place. You would think they would have that place like down pat, mm. like, you know, the ins and outs. But they always have these weird transition issues, weird sound issues there. Um, like, I don't know. Like, I hate where the hard cam is placed. I hate the ramps. Like, they're too short. I just I'm just over Daly's place. Like, I, I feel like. <laughs> Like, just visually, it's exhausting now when they're, like, at Daly's Place. And they're going to be back again in March. So, I mean, I don't know why they feel like they have to go to Daly's Place so often. And maybe it's just cheaper. Because, right, do the cons own Daly's Place? Yeah, yeah. They own the stadium and Daly's Place. Yeah, so so I'm sure that's why, you know. So it's like, no shit, Sherlock. Uh, But, like, just, I don't know, give us a break for at least, like, three or four months, at least. Um but that's just me, I guess. Like, I groaned audibly when I saw that it was Daly's Place this week. <laughs> I mean, at least there wasn't anything like last week when they had that match for uh, MGF and, you know, it was the six-man match. And, and we totally don't see Darby attacking MGF at that uh, at the uh, ring announcer's table, you know, yes. and that was completely off screen. I was like, what what the fuck is going on here? Yeah, no. And you know what? They have been getting better with their camera work mm-hmm. and, you know, not missing those big moments. But yeah, last week was definitely glaring. The only time that happened here on this episode was during the 10 man where you see um, Ray Phoenix flying in the background and then they had to show it in a replay. <laughs> <laughs> At least they gave us the replay because yes. I don't we didn't really get a replay with Darby. No, right? there last must week. have been no camera on it at all. And that's a pre-production mm-hmm. thing. That's not like mapping out the like match beforehand with the team. Cause like those big spots, you should at least tell your crew about beforehand. You know, you don't have to like tell beat for beat, like the entire fucking match to, you know, your production team, but you should at least say, okay, you know, during the match, we're going to hit this and this and this, you know, so just be ready. You know, at this point, we're going to go here. Like it just makes sense. So your cameramen mm-hmm. know what's going on. Cause I mean, there's so much going on and the action's so fast in AEW 
that you really need to have those conversations. I mean, you don't have to be WWE where you have like every minute of the match overproduced by Kevin Dunn, where like literally him and his team are like dictating what's going to actually happen in the match. And you have all those crazy transitions Mm -hmm. and shit. But, like, you can't have, like, just a quick conversation, you know, just so you know that, you know, your cameramen are, like, set up in the right place so you don't have these giant spots being missed. You know, I mean, it just only makes sense. But anyway, back to the whole, you know, uh, Malachi Black Pillman, you know, segment. I know we just went down a rabbit hole. Um, I was half expecting to see Brody King make his debut here. Like, once the lights went out after Malachi made his way through the entrance and everything, and he kind of points at the ring, I was expecting lights to go out, and then all of a sudden Brody King would be, like, behind Pillman or something like that. Since we know he's debuting sooner than later. Uh, I'm wondering if they're going to hold off that, though, to, like, the T- the TBS debut. Um, I'm guessing that's probably the case. Yeah, because that's what I was picturing. I was like, oh, he's going to point, the lights are going to come back on, and then, bam, Brody King's there attacking him. Uh, or something, mm. or at least getting him misted, because uh, I'm expecting Brian Pillman to turn evil at some point or turn heel. Because do of you this. think Pillman's gonna? Do you think Pillman's gonna turn? Yeah, that's who I think that they would you know take from that team at least. I know we talked about that. Um, I think Hart is definitely gonna turn uh-huh. somehow. You know, I mean, she got misted. We have not seen her since. Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering if, like, during their match, like, Hart comes out and causes some kind of distraction and then ends up, you know, joining forces with the House of Black, if you will. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I'm interested in the storyline, at least. I, I think it's cool that Brody King's going to be with AEW. I'm interested to see, like, like how many people end up joining this faction. Um, Kyle O'Reilly makes a mention earlier on in the show, like to be successful in AEW, you've got to be part of a faction. So I don't know. I, I why isn't there a trios belt at this I point? Don't know. In AEW? I don't know if they're waiting on it. <laughs> if they're just waiting for it to be minted or what, but I don't know, man. I, I feel like we're a ways off. Um, so, and it doesn't take that long. So, <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, hopefully that happens sooner than later. Cause you got to give a reason for all these factions to be, you know, part of the break. Cause it's literally, I mean, it's like new Japan, honestly. Like, I feel like there's not many guys who aren't affiliated with some kind of group mm-hmm. at this point. So, yeah, we got this whole video package uh, hyping up the match between Hangman and uh, Brian Danielson, which is taking place uh, during the debut episode of AEW Dynamite on TBS. Uh, I was surprised that they did a video package. Like, I love a good video package, and it was a really cool, like, training montage thing that they did. But, you know, it's the week before you know, the big match. So Mm -hmm. I kind of expected to see some kind of like, I don't know, in-ring interview at least, or like sit down interview, Um, you know, something else to kind of build up, you know, the match. Um, It was weird that they weren't on the show at all. You know, I don't know if they were just worried about having another interaction or something like that, because we've seen so much before their previous match, but I could, I mean, I agree with you. There should have been, so at least an interview or something. Someone yeah. saying something on live television for this feud. And maybe they're saving that for Rampage and they just haven't announced it yet. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we could be just in the dark. So, uh, but I thought the video package was well done. Uh, and I hope to see more packages like this. I feel like they're starting to give us more content like this, like during the show, hyping up their matches, which is something I felt like 
you know, in the past was kind of lacking on mm-hmm. AEW, you know, when it came to like, you know, really hyping up their like main events. And speaking of faction warfare, we had Adam Cole, Kyle O'Reilly, and Bobby Fish defeating the best friends, Orange Cassidy, Chuck Taylor, and Trent. It's kind of crazy seeing Undisputed Error in AEW. Uh, I also thought it was, you know, weird seeing Kyle O'Reilly going against Orange Cassidy here, since a lot of people were, like, calling Kyle O'Reilly the dollar store version of Orange Cassidy. I'm intrigued (laughs) by the storyline. Like, you know... Is Adam Cole going to be with, you know, the Undisputed Era or is Adam Cole going to, you know, stick with the super click? Um, That really feels like the question that was left, you know, with the audience at the end of the show. So, yeah, but at the end of the match, we had Kyle O'Reilly accidentally booting Adam Cole off the uh, apron. Uh, Then we did have Brandon Cutler show up uh, with the Young Bucks, basically handing the win to uh, Adam Cole and Bobby Fish and Kyle O'Reilly. I'm not sure what name they're going to be going by, but I guess we'll have to wait and see if they're even a faction. I was expecting to see, like, the Bucks and, you know, Undisputed Era, like, hug in the middle of the ring after this and kind of, like, be one big happy family, but that wasn't the case. Uh, it seems like the Bucks used that moment between Kyle and Adam to like, you know, manipulate Adam to thinking that there was some kind of ill intent, uh, you know, behind that accidental boot. Um, but yeah, uh, that's how the show ended. I mean, I enjoyed seeing these two teams go up against each other. I felt they were a little like, you know, disoriented at the beginning or like disorganized at the beginning of the match. But as soon as we got back from the commercial break, everything was firing for them. And I enjoyed what we saw. I feel like. Mm. Though the best friends were kind of like an afterthought um, in this match. Uh, I don't know how long they're going to carry on this feud. I don't know if it's going to be like blown off at a pay-per-view with like, you know, a match between Cassidy and Cole. Um, But I'm guessing they're going to work in the whole like storyline, you know, with the Bucks and Undisputed Era somehow, you know, into that feud. Um, You know, I'm wondering if they're going to end up going their separate ways or if it's just kind of a big swerve and they're all going to like unite together. Um, I think it'd be cool to see everyone together. But at the same time, I feel like we're still building to, you know, Undisputed Era versus uh, the Elite. Uh, But I I don't know how long Kenny's going to be on the shelf, though, for. Yeah, there's no timetable right now, apparently. Um, Originally, we were hearing like sometime in February. Which is, I mean, right around the corner. So, I mean, they could kind of stretch this if they needed to, um, which would be awesome. I'd love to see that. Uh, I think the Bucks and Kenny would end up actually being the faces, uh, you know, of this feud, though, if that's the case. I mean, especially with, you know, Kenny returning from injury and everything. But it should make for some interesting storytelling. I hope that if the Bucks end up turning and, like, joining up with Kenny and becoming faces, that, like, Brandon Cutler... And, like, all the rest of the goons pretty much move over to whatever the Undisputed Era are going to be calling themselves. And they just keep that going. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I definitely. I It's hard to see uh-huh. Cutler being a babyface. <laughs> I don't think that would make much sense, you know? Um, you know, basically being the Bucks' you know, whipping boy. Um, but, I mean, maybe I got it wrong. Maybe it's Undisputed Era that will end up being the baby faces and, you know, the Bucks and Kenny are the heels. I mean, I don't know. Mm. Maybe Hangman gets involved. That would be interesting. Like, he could fill in technically for Kenny until he gets back. I yeah. mean, th- he did share that moment with the Bucks, you know, when he won the title. 
where at the end it felt like they really gave him like their stamp of approval. And then what if he when Kenny comes back, then he can get back into that heel role by just attacking Paige. I mean, regardless, there's a lot of different directions they could go. Yes. And they do like to tell their stories over long periods of time. So we'll see how this plays out in the end. All right, but join us next week as we talk the big debut of AEW Dynamite on TBS. Yes, end of an era, start of a new one. Well, that does it for this week. That's right, and as a friendly reminder, if you're listening to us on your favorite podcast platform, remember to subscribe, rate, and give us a five-star review. Exactly, it sure does help an independent podcast like ours continue to grow. And while you're at it, make sure to tell a friend. Plus, if you like any of the stories we talked about on this week's episode, make sure to check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter to catch the full articles, trailers, memes, and more. That's right, you can follow us at Amazing Nerd Show on all social media platforms. And hey, if you're looking for extra content, make sure to catch our streams every weekend on Twitch, plus YouTube videos Monday through Friday. Want to support the show further? You can head over to tpublic.com and get yourself some Amazing Nerd Show merch. We've got t-shirts, hoodies, stickers, and more. And if you post what you bought and tag us on social media, we'll send you some additional nerd swag if you live in the United States. Well, all right, Damon, what are we talking about next week? Well, like I said at the top of the show, uh, next week will be our year in review, where we'll be counting down our favorites of 2021. That's right. Everything from movies to TV to video games to wrestling and so much more. It's our biggest episode of the year, Damon. And to top things off, we've got some big announcements. But until then, my name's Christian. And my name's Damon. And that was The Amazing Nerd Show. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. I know Kung Fu. Show me.